morning. Today's Bible reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 21, verses 1 to 16. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to course. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed to onto Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemyia, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Maria. If you, um, if you have access to the Bible, please get it out um, to Acts 21. I'm sure that'll be helpful. If you'd like a copy of it, um, they are at the back as well, so you can, cu- uh, you can pick one up. It's part of the bulletin. But let me pray for us, and that God will speak to us um, this morning through it. Lord, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you that you continue to speak. And Lord, we pray now that you'll speak to us. Um, Change our hearts, uh, change our minds, um, help us to live um, in a way that shows the value of the gospel to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I had a friend who was convinced that she was going to marry this guy. Um, She felt that God really told her and showed her that this guy was going to propose to her. And within a year, um, she was sure that she was going to get married to the guy. Unfortunately for the guy, he wasn't aware of the situation. And he wasn't that interested. He wasn't that close um, to her. And the year had passed and happily ever after didn't come. Which raises a question. 
Why did she mishear God? Why do we so often mishear God? But the thing uh, in the passage, today's passage, addresses some of that question. But the thing about this passage is that um, it shows it's more than that. Uh, uh, My friend um, had told me and a few other people about um, uh, how God had spoken um, to her. And she invited us to speak to her um, about what we thought about that. And she was open to hearing from us. And not only that, uh, she had uh, this community of friends who then walked through uh, with her, uh, through that decision-making, through hearing God, through going through that disappointment. And we were there with her. And I think this passage is more about that. There is an element of discerning God's will through all of it. But this passage is more than that. It's about spiritual friendship. It's about uh, being a community of people who walk with others, who listen and discern God's will um, together, who will challenge and encourage one another as we seek to live our lives uh, for God's glory, to carry out God's mission. And friends, shot in church is to be that sort of a community, that sort of friends who can speak into each other's lives, who will discern God's will together, who will rebuke and encourage and walk through the ups and downs of life as we seek to live out God's mission in the world. And as we saw last week, uh, Paul is finishing his third missionary trip, and he's now on his way to Jerusalem. In his gospel, Luke, the writer of Acts, takes pains to show how Jesus uh, goes from uh, Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. Despite the opposition, despite the difficulties, despite the prediction that Jesus is going to die, Luke devotes a big chunk of his gospel showing that how Jesus uh, went from Galilee all the way um, to Jerusalem. And here, Luke, the writer of Gospel of Luke, uh, writer of Acts, takes pains to show how Jesus, uh, how Paul is taking a similar path. He, he's going despite the difficulties promised, despite the opposition, how he keeps going on the way to Jerusalem because Paul is a disciple of Jesus. He's uh, walking the steps of his master as a disciple. And what's striking, though, is uh, as he goes, he's not alone. He's not alone. He's supposedly, he's supposed to, he's supported by his spiritual friends uh, throughout it all. Uh, We saw how last week's uh, reading ended, chapter 20, uh, verse 31, ended with uh, the Ephesian elders hugging and kissing and and crying, embracing um, Paul. Chapter 20, verse 37. And this chapter starts with Paul tearing himself away from them to go to Jerusalem. It felt like tearing himself away because they were close. They loved one another and they were there for each other. And did you notice how Luke has now inserted himself into the narrative? No longer it's Paul who did this. It's we who do this. Verse 1. After we have torn ourselves away. You see, Luke is there. The writer of Acts is there with Paul, traveling together with Paul to Jerusalem. Paul is not alone. He's not going to Jerusalem and to the suffering alone. 
And so he's supported on his way by these friends who are walking with him. And he's supported by all the Christians that he meets along the way in these different cities. Christians in Tyre, Ptolemyus, and Caesarea are called brothers and sisters here in this text. And they they open up their homes. They greet and welcome them into their home. They they take care of them. Uh, And and, and as they leave in verse 17, uh, they make provisions for them too. So they provide practical support, but it's more than practical friendship, right? It's a spiritual friendship. There's an element of spirituality that you can't ignore. They pray together. They seem to discern God's will together. Verse 4, right? They prayed and sought God's will together, which is why they urge uh, Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem, And when Paul decides to leave anyway, verse 5, what do they do? They go out and pray again. They commit him in prayer to God. We see this again in Caesarea. Philippi, uh, Philip, the church, um, sorry, Caesarea, Philip and the church uh, are there to seek God's will together with Paul in Caesarea about what he should do. You know, it's not that they all liked each other. I'm sure these are all different people with different passions and gifts and, you know, quirkiness um, there. But we see genuine friendship developing and genuine friendship there with Paul and these believers. And I apologize for using this metaphor again, but it's like the Fellowship of the Ring um, in Lord of the Rings. You know, dwarves and elves, they don't naturally like each other. But in their service to the same mission, they become deep friends. They become people who die or creatures that die for one another, who are closer um, uh, to one another than others. They form this deep bond. In the same way, the believers support Paul and his companions because they live for the same thing. Because they have the same mission. They have experienced God's grace and they want to tell others. They want to share that with others. They live for Jesus, the same master and with the same commission. And because they do so, they love one another because, and they support one another. They give up the, what they have. They, they, they pray for one another and they become friends. That's the kind of friendship we are to develop here in Shatin Anglican Church. Well, if you ask, what is our mission? What is our church about? Our vision statement in Shatin Church is taken from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. We see there a spirit-filled church. This is right after the Pentecost when the spirit fills them. What do they devote themselves to? They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the scripture. And they grow together. They, work, they devote themselves to fellowship. They share their life together. They devote themselves to worship, to breaking of bread and prayer. And the Lord added to their number, number daily those who were being saved. They were outward looking. They were reaching the world with the gospel. This, I believe, is the biblical mission, not just for Shatin Anglican Church, but for all churches. We are to be this sort of church. And this is a mission for me as well. I want to grow in Jesus. I want to worship God. I want to share my life with others um, that God has brought me together as brothers and sisters. I want to then go out and reach the world, show people the good news of the gospel and the way that I live and tell people the good news of Jesus. And I hope that this is your mission as well. This is what God has called you to do as well. And if you do, 
I will find it much easier to pray with you, to share life with you, and support you with the resources and talents and whatever that God has given me to give to you and to support you because I know that you are not uh, my brother, my sister, and a friend on the same mission that God has given us together, that we are walking in that same path. You know, irony is some people come to church to find friends, Right? And if you come to church to just find friends as maybe a cure for loneliness, it's not going to be easy to make such friends, to make deep bonds. Because we as a church are seeking to be a church. I hope growing to be a church that's not just for ourselves. That doesn't exist for ourselves, but exists for God's mission. As we face God together, as we stand side by side on this mission together, we will become deep friends. We will become people who love one another because we serve the same Lord despite our differences. So let me ask, are you living for God's mission in this world or are you living for your little ambitions? What is the, the, the reason why you live? What is God's mission and are you part of that? Are you seeking friends who then will discern God's will with you, to pray with you, to support you, and love you as you live out that mission in the world? And if you are, we are here for you. I am here for you. So these believers served the Lord, and they became this community that supported one another and I hope that that's what we're becoming. But because these believers loved Paul so much, ironically, it became one of the main reasons why they mishear God. So in verse 4, we see the church entire praying and, and, and trying to discern God's will with Paul. So we see that through the Spirit. Verse 4, the disciples urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. That phrase, through the Spirit, makes it sound like this wasn't something that they thought that Paul should do. That this is something that they were convicted, that they, they thought that this was God, God telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But as we see in verse 5, Paul and his companions keep going. They continue on their way. So you might ask, isn't this disobedience? Isn't this disobeying God? If the Spirit has told you to do something, surely then Paul the Apostle, even he must obey too. But I think what happened in Tyre um, must be interpreted uh, with uh, what we read in the next section, what happened in Caesarea, where something very similar happens. In Caesarea, Paul stays with Philip, one of the seven deacons, appointed back in chapter 6, and we're told that Philip had... Four unmarried daughters who prophesied, which I think Paul mentions, uh, I mean, Luke mentions for a couple of different reasons, because women have this significant ministry, and he wants to note that, but also because I think they must have prophesied. <laughs> they must have sought God's will together. And later on, Agabus, um, Agabus comes down, uh, and what he does is, when he did, he took Paul's belt, uh, he ties it around his hand and his feet, and then he says, this is what will happen to you when you arrive in Jerusalem, verse 11. And then look how the disciples then react in verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So take a look at this in detail, right? 
the Spirit did not tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. What he revealed was that he will suffer when he goes to Jerusalem. And how did believers then interpret this revelation is that they pleaded with Paul not to go. Why not? Because they don't want Paul to suffer. They think, well, Paul, this must not be God's will. If God is showing you how much you will suffer, that this means that you shouldn't go. Their love for Paul prevents them from hearing God, interpreting God and his will rightly. And shortly we'll see why uh, Paul thinks that they were mistaken in doing this. But it, makes, it should uh, make us question, because I think this is one of the main reasons why we, we mishear God. Are there our own desires that prevent us from hearing God, interpreting God rightly? Because we want something so badly. Because we want something to happen so badly. We kind of misinterpret God's will to bend it our way. We mishear it or just altogether uh, disregard it and not hear God at all. Now, I can speak personally about this. In the beginning of my relationship with my ex-fiance, some of you know that I had been engaged once, I felt that God has shown me in many different ways that I should really end that relationship. I won't get into exactly how I felt this way, but if you're interested, come and talk to me afterwards. I'll tell you more. But even as God was telling me these things, I was 31, and uh, until then, I had really dated no one. I had no relationship until 31. I desperately wanted to get married, (laughs) and I really liked her. And so as these things were happening... I misinterpreted or I willingly ignored what God was telling me because I really wanted that relationship to work out. And the result was a rocky relationship for four and a half years and a painful breakup at the end. And my biggest regret as I look back at that time is that that feeling that I had ignored God's guidance and not broken up with her sooner that I caused unnecessary pain and hurt in her and in me as well. My unwillingness to listen to God because of my desires. We often do this because we want something to happen. We just ignore God. We misinterpret his guidance. Friends, are there things that you are ignoring? You are misinterpreting because you really want something. Maybe it's that relationship with non-Christian Maybe it's your desire for a certain job or status. Maybe it's our desire not to part with our income or comfort level that prevent us from living radically and listening to God's will. And with parenting, I think this happens um, often because we want our children to grow up comfortably. We want our children to grow up, um, uh, we, we, uh, to, to have a comfortable and successful careers. We pre- it sometimes prevents us from raising our children to seek God and God's kingdom first. The point is, God's way is not always the most comfortable way. It's not always the most easy way. Sometimes God leads you to, the, to do the difficult things. And are we listening? Friends, often our priorities are very different from God's priorities. So watch your heart. Watch what occupies that most cherished space and make sure that it's Jesus. 
and Jesus who wears the crown of thorn, or Jesus, our crucified king, that calls you to follow him. But you might ask, once again, how did Paul, how was he so sure to press onward to go to Jerusalem despite the advice, no, the pleading of his friends? Well, Paul says he decided to go, remember, to Jerusalem back in chapter 19. And he tells us in chapter 20 why. He, said, he says that he felt compelled by the Holy Spirit. Now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. And that word compelled is the same word as to bind or to, to be bound, that you have no choice. Um, or imprisoned, it's the same uh, word that's tra- translated there as prison. You see, he felt compelled. There's some thing in him that convicted him that he should go to uh, Jerusalem by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And unlike his friends, when the prophecies of suffering and imprisonment came, he did not interpret them then as, his, as a prohibition to not to go. Because obeying God was primary, and his suffering, even his death, was secondary. He was able to continue to obey and say, this is what God has called me to do. I am not afraid. So he told us last week that, you know, his life is secondary. And he tells us again uh, in today's passage, verse 13, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of our Lord Jesus. So he went ahead undeterred, unafraid of suffering, unafraid of imprisonment, unafraid of dying. And friends, the call that Jesus makes to us is actually the same call to die. That was what Jesus' call to his disciples uh, was. And it's to each of us um, as well. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Or in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. You know, there's no mystery in what he's calling us to do. Pick up your cross. That's not for some discomfort. That's to our death saying the previous life that you had, the ownership that you feel that you have, you must give that up and give it to me. You become mine and you follow me. That is the call to each one of us. And if we're already dead, then what can get in the way of obeying Jesus? What I see often in ministry isn't a problem of discerning God's will. You know, should I take job A or job B? We often get paralyzed by such choices. But, you know, it's often because we mistrust God's goodness. You know, we think, oh, if I mischoose, then, you know, God will somehow punish me or God will not give me the life that I really, uh, uh, that he wants for me. Well, what a wrong idea of God. Right? God is good. He wants best for you. And if he wants you to choose job A, he's God. He will make that clear for you. You don't need to just listen to this quiet voice. God is God and he will guide you and he is good. We can trust him. What I often see, though, is the problem is not so much uh, finding and discerning God's will, but 
obeying God's clearly revealed will, often in the Scripture. Willfully misinterpreting the Bible, willfully misinterpreting God's will because it's too hard and too difficult to obey. But admittedly, obeying God is hard. And dying to ourselves is very, very hard. Doing things that the Scripture tells us is really, really hard. It is difficult to trust. It is difficult not to worry. It is difficult to not to be angry, not to, uh, to be honest in our life, to reserve sex for marriage, to forgive and to be gracious. It is all difficult because, look, continue, there is that desire in us and that desire feels so alive and counting that, uh, that part dead is difficult. So we fail all the time. And so we don't want to die. But thank God that there's somebody who wasn't afraid to die. Once again, just as Paul is going to Jerusalem, Jesus went to Jerusalem. And there were ample warnings. Many the disciples, as Jesus tells the disciples, disciples try to stop Jesus from going to his death. And Jesus felt every temptation too, but he did not sin. And as he counted himself dead, he went to the cross. And because he did so, he forgave our sin. He became our example. And because he did that, he, well, his words are also true. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. So we have the example of Jesus to follow. But also what makes following Jesus possible is the Christian community. So I want to come back to that idea. When Paul pressed on towards Jerusalem against their advice, did you see what the, what the Christians um, in Tyre did? They went, the next verse in verse 5, they went to the beach from which the ship sailed. And what did they do? The women and children were there with Paul. They knelt down on the beach and prayed for Paul. They were with Paul. In uh, Caesarea, what did they do? When Paul would not be persuaded, uh, persuaded, verse 14, they said that the Lord's will be done. And then they supported him. The, the friends went, continued to go to Jerusalem with Paul. We need that sort of a community. I, I would love for our church to be that community because Christian life is not easy. Obeying Jesus is not easy. We need others to support us. We need others to pray with us, discern God's will with us, love us, encourage, and rebuke us. So may God make us such a community of disciples and community of friends in Shatin. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your greatness. We thank you uh, that you have revealed your glory and power and might and love, holiness through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we, as people who have tasted your goodness and your grace, and Lord, help us to be your disciples. Help us to be people who live for you in your way, no matter the cost. 
And Lord, fix our eyes on you that we might become true friends, people who are on the same mission, people who share life, share resources and talents together, people who would sacrifice one another, people who would show hospitality and love uh, with one another, who will pray with each other, uh, who will discern God's will, encourage and rebuke uh, one another because we are your disciples walking on the same path that you have shown us. Lord, we know that for this to happen, our selfish ambitions and ourselves need to die. And so, Lord, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would awaken us new desires and new life and put to death our sinful desires and help us to live as your disciples in Shatin Church. For your namesake, in Jesus' name, amen.